Hello, James. Hi, Jack. James, we're uh, we're recording on a Friday today. We hope you don't do this. Happy Friday. Yeah. Um, it's got got some different energy, but I think it'll be good. I do too. I'm I'm optimistic. Very optimistic. Now tell me, tell me, James. Anything uh, anything exciting on the agenda this weekend for you? Are they still letting you play cards up where you are? Yeah. Um, there's there's a regular Friday two five game, so. Um, Probably going to hop in those streets later. I'm envious. But for the listeners, today we have a very interesting hand to talk about with some interesting opponents. Um, we're talking about the, the heads up for roles kind of challenge with Daniel Negreanu and Doug Polk. Who are they again? I don't know. I, I, I don't think they're very prominent in the industry. They're just kind of, you know, low profile guys. Negrano is like one of those sort of like billionaires who likes to dump in these games, right? Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> former Just Hands, former Just Hands guest Dana Grano, uh, renowned expert in poker. Uh, Dan, if you want to come back on the show, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think everyone listening pretty much will know about this event and everything that transpired to lead to it. I don't know if we should go into that at all. Yeah, that's boring. But I think uh, just quickly talking about what the format of the event is would be useful. Because I, I do think there will be a good amount of people listening who aren't that up to date. Yeah, yeah. So they agreed to play 200, 400. Um, and Those are dollars, folks. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> and uh, like, whatever. I think they reset to 100 big blinds if it gets crazy deep. But they're, you know, they're, um, the game is almost exclusively online, but they decided to play their first 200 hands live. And those are the hands that we'll be discussing. There's some kind of option for the loser to not continue playing after 12,500 hands. Um, sorry, not, yeah, the loser has the option if they want to continue, but the winner has to continue if the losing player, um, Wants to, yeah, yeah, wants to play the last. Anyway, anyway, I don't know. I think it was it was cool. They got this match on Poker Go. Like, it's good for it's good for the game. Get some more interest. Um, so yeah. So we and, talked about uh, we talked about uh, a similar match in a premium podcast. Uh, talked about a Helmuth versus Fondiari hand. If you want to get access to that, patreoncom slash hands. That's the that's the move. Uh, we talked a little bit about just kind of the dynamics in a match like this and what what we kind of expect the approaches of each player to be. Do you want to do a little bit of that for this yeah. match? Yeah, I think that'll be useful. So um, obviously it's for the for the live portion, do it like it's only two hundred hands, so it's less than one percent of the total the total match. Um I think, I mean, I think Doug is just going to be try to be quite balanced and unexploitable, and then makes kind of some small tweaks here and there when he sees how Daniel's playing. If he sees any any leaks, my guess is that Doug is going to play far more exploitably than his reputation might suggest. In part because I think Daniel. Daniel understands game theory well enough at this point in his career. I think he's made a pretty concerted effort to 
uh, beef up his knowledge about that subject that combined with potentially like a physical reads advantage for Daniel playing GTO is potentially a very risky move actually for Doug. Um, I don't know if he'll, he would agree, but I think that would be the case where basically playing GTO implies that you're going to be very balanced in a lot of spots such that your opponent is very indifferent. So if they had no information about where you might be in your range based on your physical behavior, it's, it's very hard for them to win or lose very much money. On the other hand, as soon as they pick up something about your physical behavior, they can win a lot of money and you have very little ability to win a lot of money playing GTO. So I think that would be a bit of a mistake uh, if, if they share the same assumptions that I do. Now, that, that also depends on like to what degree Doug feels like he understands what Daniel's doing and how Daniel will approach a spot or will pick up well enough to make these large adjustments. Uh, but I expect that to happen. So I, I don't know exactly what the leaks are for Daniel based on his play over the past couple of years. I think like Daniel has tried to play a lot more GTO, but it's often like a little bit passive. And so potentially that's an area where Doug can create a sizable advantage. But yeah, I, I think it would be a mistake for Doug to like try and just play as close to optimally as he can. Um, what I What I would say is I think Doug might, admit that maybe he's even a little bit of a dog in the live kind of portion and he i don't know if he needs to if he feels he needs to make a lot of adjustments to try and exploit in order to overcome that disadvantage yeah Yeah, i think it's a good you bring up a good point in that this is only 200 of twenty-five thousand hands taking place live and so not doing just kind of like, this doesn't matter very much. So, mm-hmm. and the, yeah, the physical tells are obviously not going to be an issue online. So I, I agree, I guess, that Doug probably isn't going to have put a ton of thought into, like, how to approach these first 200 hands, given that reality. Yeah. Um, should we talk about Daniel's strategy in the match overall? I think he's done a lot of work recently to try and be, to be able to compete here. Um I mean, he something he's been doing a lot is a lot of these small bets so far in the match, um, like one-fifth continuation bet, which I don't know. Um, I don't know how much EV that's giving up by just choosing that single size on most flops. Yeah, I think in general, trying to take take a player like Doug out of like a game tree in which he's more comfortable makes sense as a way to potentially gain edges throughout the match. Uh, and if you if you had, let's say, five or ten different wrinkles to throw in over the course of 25,000 hands, and your opponent is just going to try and execute a GTO strategy, then I think I, I think that can be a good approach. Especially if like if you feel like you have a way of anticipating the kinds of mistakes someone attempting to play a GTO strategy is likely to make versus sort of an unorthodox strategy, perhaps unorthodox in terms of bet sizing or in other ways. Yeah. So in this particular match, um, at this point, um, we're talking about a hand from the live match. Ugranu's up 42,000, which is, um, I guess, two, about two buy-ins. So um, I, I don't know. I, we, I, I don't think either player's playing poorly. Um, we actually watched this match with 
part of this match with some of our Slack subscribers. So that's another it's another bonus if you sign up for Patreon. We might do some more of these. Um, it, was, it was fun. Anyway, in this hand, um, yeah, Negrani's got a little bit of the edge um, in terms of he has a, a chip lead at this point, and so he's just going to fold for the, the rest of the 25,000 hands and try and wait it out. No. Um, Doug's on the button with Queen Jack of Diamonds, and he opens to... Um, I think he's been opening for, to 2.2 or something like that. So he opens to 900 here, and Daniel has 10-6 suited in the big blind. What do you like here from Daniel? Is this a hand you'd be mixing in three bets with? Mm, no, I don't think so. I don't think this is a... It's not... I don't think it's the right type of hand to three bet. I don't think we accomplished very much. Mm-hmm. Getting like... In, ter- in terms of game game dynamics, there were a few three bets uh, previously, um, and there hadn't been too many four bets in the first hundred hands. Yeah, I think... With the way I see most people approaching three bets, I think is a little bit... Obviously, you're doing a lot of three bets with just high equity hands, which can also start to include like weaker pairs, suited connectors. But with the more sort of bluff-oriented three bets, which I think 10-6 suited would definitely fall into, I tend to see people choosing from combinations which are higher equity, but do more in terms of getting folds from dominating hands right away. So take something like a... 6-3 suited, where you can get a lot of 3x to fold, you can get a lot of 6x to fold. It's not, there's not like a, there's obviously some 10x that's dominating that will fold, but not a ton. I'm not sure, I don't think 10-9 offsuit folds, I don't think any better 10x than that folds. Definitely, I don't think 10-8 suited or 10-7 suited folds. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't think we accomplished a lot with the 10-6 suited as a 3-bit. So I prefer just calling. Um, We do end up yeah, dominating some suited connectors that have to continue. But yeah, I yeah, but I you know, agree we're not you. we're obviously not doing this like so that we can dominate our opponent's range. <laughs> yeah. Um what I would say is how much of a factor do you think game flow and if if one has a, a live read about the particular the open from the opponent, like if you can take out the top end of an opponent's range with some confidence based on their physical behavior when they open. Um, I think it makes three betting start to look a lot better, even with some kind of marginal hands. Yeah. On the other hand, it, it also makes call look better. Yeah. Yeah. I still think like it, it only, it only takes you so far with a hand like 10, six suited to know that your opponent doesn't have very top range. It's, it's useful. I think probably like in theory would make this a plus EV three bet, but how confident do you have to be that that's the case? Yeah. Well, Daniel does decide to three bet um, to 4,000 and we're back on Doug who I guess has somewhat of a decision. What does he have again? He has queen jack suited. I like call, um, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to think about the effects of four betting. I think ace jack, ace queen, king queen is probably all going to continue to the four bet, which makes me not like it so much. Yeah, I I think this this hand is like it's definitely strong enough to four bet. 
So it's it's not like I think you're losing money by four betting Queen Jack suited, but my guess is that Doug will call, um, anticipating that Daniel's three betting range is like a little bit stronger than it ought to be, which I think, even though it's a relatively small sample at this point, it is a sample that would suggest that that could be the case. Yeah. Which, you know, lends credence to the idea of like this being a good game flow time to throw in a three bet with a hand like 10 6 suit, which otherwise doesn't have that much incentive out of three bet. Doug does elect a call, and the flop is king 6 6 with uh, no diamonds. So Doug does not have the backdoor flush draw. Um, the king is a club, and Daniel has the 10 6 of clubs. So Daniel flops trips here on this flop. And he elects to bet out 1600 into 8000, which is kind of going along with his the strategy that we've seen from him so far. And also, I guess, afterwards in some of these online matches where on these relatively dry boards that favor the pre-flop aggressor, he's choosing these kind of one one fifth pot type sizings as a simplification with his range. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you've established that as a sizing, there's not much reason to deviate at this point. Obviously we really don't want Doug to fold any hand. So Yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. Um what do you think in Doug's spot here? Should we should we be continuing? We're getting quite a good price. And we, I guess we block some king-queen, king-jack suited that will probably be three-betting. Well, at least be mostly three-betting. I don't know about exclusively three-betting. Does he have a backdoor? I can't remember. He, yeah, he doesn't have a backdoor. I do think he rates to be ahead of Daniel a fair amount. And so I think a lot of it is going to hinge on what's Daniel's propensity to give up. You know, I, I think... Another question is like, how often is Daniel checking aces here? Because I think the better an ace is for Doug's range, the easier it is for him to continue. Mm, I have to think about that one. Yeah. I mean, you want to be able to find some bluffs when check two on later streets in Doug's spot. And there's not really any high equity hands that we can continue with um, to bluff. Like we could maybe continue with like twos through fours and turn that into a bluff later. It has, I mean, it has the backdoor straight. So on a 10 or an ace, Doug will pick up some equity. But I imagine uh, Negreanu will mostly bear all those cards. Uh, it'll be difficult to get. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Another Another point is that I guess Queen Jack performs decently well against sevens through tens, which will probably check a future street. And it's possible that Doug will find an opportunity to bluff. He doesn't really block any of the sixes. Uh, I wonder if a hand like seven, eight, seven, eight of clubs might be a better continue here than queen jack suited. But I mean, he's getting such a good price. Um, calling yeah. can't ever be too big of a mistake. I think the, this is a call in theory for this sizing. To me, the question mm -hmm. is more like, is there a reason to think that Daniel's range is different than it ought to be in a way that's disadvantageous for us to call? 
And I'm, I'm not seeing enough evidence that that's the case, especially because I think Daniel also maybe gives up a little more often than the sovereign will, such that we're not like so unlikely to be able to realize. Mm-hmm. Having no backdoor is not great since we have so many hands that do have a backdoor. But we also have a lot of middle of the board hands that have a hard time continuing. So I think against this size, we would be, we would be overfolding by folding here. And I just don't see Doug doing that. And I don't think that, I think I'm not as good at like navigating this spot as Doug is by quite a bit. And so like for me, it might be a little bit more prudent to fold without um, the backdoor flush draw. But I, I think this is probably a plus EV call. All right. So we both like call if we're, if we have the knowledge of Doug. Yeah, if Doug could play the turn river for me, I would definitely call. Uh, <laughs> if I had to play the turn river for myself, I think it's much closer for me, but I still think call uh, is a very reasonable approach. Yeah. Um, Doug does call. Kind of no surprise there. And the turn is the eight of diamonds. So we have a Badugi board, and uh, now it's Negranu's action. So I think most players would continue betting here in Negrani's shoes. The kind of some of the theory behind it is like Negrani has a range advantage, so he's should be continuing with his value and then also working in a lot of bluffs. And Polk has kind of the more condensed range that has to play defense. What do you think uh, about that kind of analysis? I agree that. Daniel has a, a meaningful range advantage in terms of top-end hands, in part because I think the way a lot of players play these spots, Daniel has maybe slightly less 6x coverage, but plenty. I think like if it were a king 8-8-6 board, it would be less advantageous for Daniel. Um, and I think a king 3-3 board, more advantageous for Daniel. Um, yeah, I do think... so on. In terms of things that make me like the check more are that I think Doug is much more prone to value bet when check two in a spot like this than the field. Uh, I think the field gets a little queasy value betting, like some of the weaker Kings and other types of pairs here, but I expect Doug to do more of that. I think he's shown propensity to do that. And so getting in a check raise here against a good amount of like King X is pretty valuable. Um, I don't think we give up too much for 6x, since I do think 6x is sort of likely to raise at some point in the game tree. So so I can get behind the check raise for that reason. The question is just like, does it look kind of fishy such that Doug is pretty unlikely to bluff in this spot? And because he's unlikely to bluff, he doesn't do a ton of value betting. I'm, I'm just worried it like looks trappy. Basically, like, yeah, yeah I, I, I get it, but I worry it's too transparent. I wonder, so I think a lot of Negranu's mid pairs and I guess um, ace high will start to check here. Some of the ace high will bet, but ace queen could find a check here and sevens through queens may start checking at this point, probably should. And so having some traps in that range, um, if... Doug starts attacking it could be it's pretty useful to have I'm trying to think about what blockers I want to have I guess I would prefer to unblock 
like King X. So the Ten of Clubs. I guess it unlocks like King King Ten offsuit. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure how much the Ten helps or hurts this year in terms of sixes that I'd want to trap with. It probably doesn't have a a huge effect, but it could be a good way to mix up one's frequencies. Yeah, the as I sit on this more, I I like it less. Um, I just I think it I just think a check raise after like a three bet C bet here from Daniel on an advantageous board texture just looks really strong. What about like a, a check call? The problem is like here's a problem. I don't see much of a point to a check call versus bet. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's a lot of bluff catchers that won't bet that would have called. And so if we're check calling to check raise the river, then we run into the same problem. It's like, does that river check raise just start looking really strong? Yeah. The pot will be, um, or let's see, the it's a five to one SPR right now. So if there's a small overbet here on turn or river, um, Doug could put Negranu all in. Um, so maybe uh, at shallower stack depths, do you like check call, check call more? Check call, check call. From Negranu, yeah. At shallower stack depths to... Um, because is, you're with, you're inducing bluffs on the river, I guess is the idea. And the the idea is that like you'll be all in on the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No. No. Yeah, definitely not. Okay. I think the value of going passive to induce a bet is in order to add another street to the game, or add another like layer into the tree and gets get more money in the pot. So put three bets in from the turn on instead of two bets. So I think if there's only two bets left, then you have very little incentive to be checking um, as a trap. And I think your checks should be really condensed, most likely. All right. Well, I'm not a fan. Don't not yeah. a fan. I, I would be more of a fan as like a. I mean, honestly, we have to be more of a fan as a bluff. Like I think mm-hmm. it's it's a reasonable time to bluff. Would you be choosing some kind of suited connector like? Seven nine suited becomes an open ender here, or I think I would eight, choose seven, ASX. ASX. Um, so we have some equity against the King X. Yeah, that seems yeah seems reasonable. And then we we unlock the suited connector region that Doug might be bluffing with. Well, Negranu does elect to check here, and um, so Doug has Queen high here, and his opponent has just checked. Time to time to turn up the heat. We don't have any any equity, but on the eight, we're not going to pick up too much equity. And and Doug's shoes will definitely have some sixes that will want to go for value here. Maybe some some kings as well. So wait, hold on. What's where are we in the hand? Okay, so Negrano has checked the turn, mm-hmm. and the action is on Doug. So the question is, okay, so we're deciding if Doug should bet or not. Yes. Yeah, I think this check is suspicious, so I wouldn't bet. And I think the main reason to bet is to try and get ace high to fold. And so you have to ask yourself, like, how likely is it that ace high plays in this way so that I can get it to fold? Yeah. Yeah, it seems kind of unlikely. Um, we're blocking queens and jacks. It's kind of nice. Hands. Yeah. It's your hands that might fold at some point. Maybe not just to the one barrel. Yeah. And we also, we don't 
we don't really have any equity. I guess we have equity against tens and nines, which might take this line. But there's there's other pairs that could be think this line. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um also eight X we have equity against. Yeah. So Doug is not um not too suspicious of the check, I guess. And that's seventy six hundred. That's interesting. Yeah. No, I think if uh I think if Doug feels like he can get a lot of ASX to fold, potentially some other pairs, then I get it. Mm-hmm. I still am a little suspicious of Daniel's check, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Blockers are interesting and heads up because the ranges are so much wider that a lot more hands become possible. So yeah, you end up blocking different sorts of things. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've I'd prefer to have something with more equity here from Doug that might also block some 6x, like 7-9. I guess a lot of these hands might not get here, though. Like, does 7-9 call flop? Maybe not. I think it is only, it is only one does. pot. Yeah, 7-9. Does 10-9? That's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe 10-9 suited. Maybe 10-9 off. Holds. A lot of hands will get here, though, because it is... Yeah. It's you know it's just a small flop at yeah right. Yeah, I'm just suspicious of how often Daniel's actually giving up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, checking to check fold. It doesn't yeah. Daniel doesn't have too many hands that want to do that. So we back in back in Daniel's shoes. We set our trap. Time to raise. Put King King X in a weird spot. No, I I don't think I would. I don't think I would raise on the turn. Mm-hmm. I think I'd raise on the river because I, I I wouldn't do this as Daniel because like I think the check is kind of fishy where you're not going to see as much betting from Doug. But if you do get the bet, then I think you're, you can guess you're up against a range that is going to bear a little reasonable frequency. And I think when you do check raise, you're really setting off alarm bells. And so I think it's it's more important to let that river barrel come in than to risk the check and not get an opportunity to raise at some point in the hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like we said before, Doug is the type of player who will, who could find a bet with King Jack on the river, something like this, um, where yeah, definitely. it's getting a little thin. Yeah, I I like the call from Negreanu at this point. I think our opponent, if anyone is capable of finding bluffs, I think it's Doug. And um, yeah, I think continuing to set our trap and seeing if it works. That's what I'd I'd go for here. So uh, Nagrana kind of agrees with us. He decides to call. And the river is a two of hearts. So um, very bricky. And Nagranu checks and it's back on Doug. So the pot is 26K and we have 43K behind. And we're not winning by checking. Well, are we sure about that? Or is there nothing that Daniel could have that... He could have 7-9 suited, I guess, but... Like 7-5, 9-7. It's just going to barrel the turn. It's unusual. Yeah, I think I agree. It'll probably barrel the turn. So Yeah. Um, We... I guess we block some of Daniel's better kings that might take this line. Like if King Jack from Daniel takes this line, so we shift him more towards King... 10 king nine suited which are 
might become pure bluff catchers here. I'm starting to see more of the logic in using Queen Jack as a bluff. So let me explain. Mm -hmm. I think it becomes a much better bluff in a spot like this to try and get remaining ace high and also like uh, pairs, like a pair of eights or worse to fold. Because when the draws all brick, bluffing with like a 10, 9, 7, 5 in our hand starts to be a little bit a little bit of an issue because we make it less likely that Daniel has those types of hands. Or if Daniel has a hand like 9, 8, that seems like a hand that's more likely to fold to a river barrel here. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas queen and queen jack, I think, does a nice job in terms of removal on a run out like this. So I think I think it makes sense is like a double barrel on specifically this type of board. I think that that's what it's for. So I would be surprised to see um, Doug not barrel. I don't think he'll go that big. I think he'll go like half pot, is my guess. Um, yeah, I, I really like that point you had about setting up some advantageous river bluff spots with your blockers, like just thinking about ahead about what you'll want to have on different runouts. Um, and I think, yeah, Queen Jack actually becomes a pretty good candidate here. I guess we do block queens and jacks, though. Like, I don't think queens and jacks are folding. I don't think Daniel will fold queens and jacks, so I think blocking them is good. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, to, to all in? I don't think we're sizing all in here. Okay. Doug does shove. Um, I, that's, but, that's fair. I mean, yeah. I'm wrong. I think all in... It's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting way of approaching things. I guess, like, Doug just doesn't think that Daniel, like... I guess Doug probably just assumes Daniel's playing the really condensed range, in which case I think this shove makes more sense. And I think yeah. Daniel is, like, kind of trappy, so it makes me nervous. Yeah, I so, think... But I do. It's possible that Doug might simplify a strategy by just going for the all-in bet and not not having different sizes here. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's true. Um, I don't mind the all-in. I it's obviously much worse the more you give Daniel hands like six x, and so I'm probably a little bit biased by knowing that he has that hand. But no, I don't think I think Doug is choosing this hand because he thinks Daniel would call with queens or jacks. Because I think if Doug wants to shove here, I mean, he has a good amount of 6x, sure. But I also think he would guess Daniel's not checking a ton of king x on the turn after making such a small flop bet. Mm -hmm. So I think like queens and jacks starts to look like very high up in Daniel's range. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Also, like not all, I don't think Doug can like take all of his king x and just shove. So. Yeah, Daniel he's... blocking like the king queens and king jacks of the world also is a reason to call with those types of hands. So I, I, I do think Doug would expect those hands to call. This was a good one. I mean, obviously Daniel calls. Uh, yeah, which he he counts the pot just to check, but he's like, yeah, there's almost no chance of unfolding. And yeah, yeah, I Let's forgot about this hand. Big pot off Doug. Yeah, um, it's hard for me to argue against how either player played the spot. I think there was a lot of mm -hmm. logic, some of which took me a while to arrive at. Negrana's trap is is pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. It, obviously, it worked out here, and maybe it's okay against Doug. But yeah, I think it's it's very creative. I don't think um, I don't think it'll work against a lot of players, but I think maybe it'll work well against Doug. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's a spot that I think looks 
possibly worse for Doug than it is. Um, I, I think also like if Doug doesn't expect Daniel to play as much six X as some players are, then it starts to look more defensible for other reasons as well. Not much to add. Um, yeah. I know this isn't an episode of punted off, but if it were, I wouldn't, I would not say that either player was punting. Uh, I had liked Daniel continuing because I didn't think it was that likely that would do this. I still wonder like how often Doug takes this exact line. So yeah. like, we can't know, but I think I was underestimating uh, Doug's bluffs and expecting Doug to range Daniel stronger after checking the turn. And so I think uh, that's, it's probably just means I'm wrong in my analysis relative to, uh, or I'm more likely to be wrong. Daniel becomes more likely to be right. It's, it's possible to the Doug, Doug is doing some kind of rolling here for this queen jack. Like we don't know that he always chooses this candidate um, based on I don't know chips or suits or something. So yeah, it's it's kind of hard to say. Like if if he goes for it every time, like maybe he just he rolled high on his randomizer or something. Well, here's to full ring. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel much more comfortable in my analysis, but. Maybe it's you know it's more interesting to think about some different some different spots that I'm not used to with the heads up. Um, yeah, maybe I should start playing PLO or something. We've talked about PLO hands on the podcast before. You could always do it again. I know everyone would absolutely love that. <laughs> Is that I don't know if that's facetious or not. Um, I think it's uh it, it's a little polarizing talking about PLO. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is ironic because there's less polarization. Yes, I know. Deeply ironic. Well, James, thank you as always for uh, joining me. And to those of you guys who are looking for a little bit more Just Hands, please do check out uh, patreon.com slash Just Hands. We've gotten some more support over the last few weeks, which is great. And we want to keep this thing going for you guys. Uh, but we need more. And we'd love to have you. So looking forward to catching some of you guys in Slack and sharing the, those premium podcasts that we've been cranking out with you guys. All right, James. Till next time.